This is episode number 58 of the Ships Podcast with Lori Wolk. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Welcome to today's episode of Ships. We have an amazing guest joining us today. Her name is Lori Wolk, who is a youth and adult life coach and the author of the best-selling book on Amazon, Girls Just Want to Have Likes, How to Raise Confident Girls in the Face of Social Media Madness. She has integrated more than two decades of professional experience as an educator, mentor, coach, trainer, marketer, therapist, and parent to provide engaging programming that can help reconnect families and balance the influence social media has on their lives. A go-to girl since girlhood and a cheerleader at heart, she has been called a modern mentor by those who know her. Lori received her bachelor's degree in psychology from Emory University and is a certified coach by the Martha Beck Institute. She has a private practice in Larchmont, New York. Lori was instrumental in helping bring to fruition the Westchester Children's Museum and is honored to join the Girls Leadership Advisory Board. An engaged and hands-on mother of three, Lori understands kids and is able to connect with them both as a guide and a friend. Everyone, get ready for an amazing episode with Lori. She gives us some great insight into the work that she's doing. We talk about how communication is freedom and power and how saying something, stepping up and speaking up can literally change your life. She talks about the importance of practicing small moments of interaction and getting teenagers to buy in to the idea of improving their communication skills. We also talk a lot about the importance of conflict and how conflict is central to building strong and meaningful relationships. It's always important, Lori says, to remember to be in control and how we shouldn't get caught up in the comparison culture of today. So this is an incredible episode. Please share it with a friend if you think it will really resonate with them. If you think that what Lori is saying will really impact and change their lives. I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. So... Without further ado, Lori Wolk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is Lori Wolk. Lori, thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, Patrick. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to dive into this conversation because you're doing some incredible work, really in the coaching space, in the digital wellness space. 
and specifically in your work with adolescents, teenage girls. And so th this is a very prevalent issue in our society today. I, I don't need to tell you that, but for our listeners out there, and I'm really excited to really dive in and, and have a great conversation about a really important topic. Thank you. I, I as well. So I'm wondering if you could just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe where are you from and what led you on the path that you're pursuing today? Okay, great. Good question. Um, so I have a background in psychology. I studied psychology at Emory University and my mom is a therapist. I am the youngest of three, two older brothers, and I always thought that I would go into that field. I would probably go to graduate school and um, open up my own shop and become a therapist. And when I graduated college, I got lured by the sexiness of the entertainment industry and went to work for E! Entertainment Television, actually, um, in marketing and sales. And you, I know. So I, I had... a fabulous former life, actually, before, um, and still use a lot of the skill set. And I think it's important for people to hear that, you know, there are so many different paths to um, what ultimately perhaps becomes one's passion or driving force um, for their work life. And so I worked into that space for many, many years, creating partnerships with different brands and organizations and people and really working on relationship skills, because at the end of the day, that's what sales and marketing is. Um, and then I had boy girl twins and I stared at these two babies and I said to myself, I have no idea how I build confidence, how I create these human beings to believe in themselves and to love themselves. Yeah. Basically that. <laughs> and so I went back to school and I got my coaching degree and I studied um, everything I could possibly about confidence theory and self-esteem and jumped right in it was really, so it was, it was kind of like this mixture of my personal life driving me as well as um, my background that kind of, it was always my calling to be in this personal development space. It really is amazing to look back on our path and just kind of see how we ended up in the place that we're pursuing today. And I imagine, like you just said, that a lot of your experience, your work experience in the entertainment industry has now informed what you're doing today. Yes, yes, very much so. And it's actually really great in terms of when I'm talking to youth or I'm at a high school or a middle school and I'm saying like, I get it. I love entertainment and these devices and social media. I was part of the team creating e-entertainment online just as much as you do. And I think it's got real value. And so I'm on their team and it's got a lot of um, credibility to be able to say that. But we also have to realize what I'm saying to them is that what are we losing out on because we're always staring at our vices, because we're using them as a way to avoid uncomfortable feelings or staring someone in the eye or feeling awkward or bored. Um, and so that's really the premise of the work that I do. And it came out of my background wanting to be like, how do I build confidence and self-esteem in human beings? And how is social media and these devices getting in the way of that? So the devices themselves aren't ruining today's youth, but it's what we're not doing organically that perhaps we used to be before these devices were stealing our attention and our time. 
Yes. Yeah. It, these, these skill sets are so crucial. And I really love how you specifically focus on building confidence and then as, as well as teaching communication skills. And you touched upon this uh, a little bit just a, a few minutes ago, but I'm wondering if you could dive deeper and why did you decide to focus specifically on building confidence? Yeah. So, you know, in today's culture, as, as kids are growing up and going through the system, there really are three benchmarks that um, are constantly getting kind of pats on the back. So if you are having academic success, pat, pat, pat on the back. If you have athletic prowess, you know, all these sports around schools and whatnot, pat on the back. And then if you're popular. And so if you don't fit into these kind of three buckets as you're, you know, going through those particularly difficult middle school years... Um, it's very challenging to find your place. And so these slowly, these little things that happen, whether it be somebody on the soccer field saying, oh, you suck, you missed it. They chip away and you remember them and they slowly chip away your confidence or your belief and slowly shame begins to replace, oh, mistakes happen. And we are teaching our kids, you know, don't say something, don't make waves, don't be a drama queen, particularly for girls, don't be a drama queen, it's fine, roll with it. But the truth is, is that communication and saying something is not only freedom, but it's also power. We can't make change in our lives unless we speak up. And so that goes from the biggest way, you know, on a political stage to the smallest way. And an example is one of my clients, um, her daughter was having a sleepover and she's afraid of the dark and likes to have a light on when she goes to sleep. And so she doesn't really do sleepovers, but she went on a sleepover this particular evening and the mom shut off the lights and the young lady sat there in the darkness, afraid, didn't sleep, had a terrible time, but was didn't say anything. She didn't feel comfortable speaking up. She hadn't practiced speaking up. And so- the next time she was invited to sleep over, she said, no, thank you. Again, didn't speak up and say, to be honest, I should have said something, but I don't love the dark and I stayed up all night. And that friendship completely deteriorated. So then the girl whose house she was supposed to sleep over with had no idea why she didn't want to sleep over anymore. And the girl who didn't say something nearly because she doesn't love the dark, which some adults aren't even comfortable with, she also was silently suffering. And so what I feel so passionate about is helping parents realize that those little opportunities to speak up and actually role-playing them at home is so critical. So if the mom kind of could rewind and be like, hey, let's role-play if the mom turns off the lights or the dad or the babysitter or whatnot, what could you say that makes you feel comfortable and not too embarrassed that you aren't comfortable in the dark still that would allow you to say something? And she would then be able to have changed the whole destiny of like a year long of angst and discomfort when she could have easily changed her world. So we say by saying something, you can change your world. You can change anything. But by sitting back and slowly letting things chip away at you when nobody knows, it's really hard to feel free and to feel powerful. I Love that. I love that. It really is these small interactions that in those moments, they seem like such, uh, such little things, but these little things add up over time. And it's, 
only when we're practicing these interactions, it's only when we're role-playing them, like what you were saying, that they could really have a dramatic impact on our lives. Right. And it's like anything. It's And I talk to the parents and the kids, it's like a muscle. If you're going to get better at soccer, you're going to get better at piano, you practice. And so we do need to practice these little examples. I was just at a middle school um, doing different workshops with different grades, and I was saying, when you get picked up after school, whether it be by the bus or a parent or a babysitter, many of you stare at your devices to avoid feeling awkward standing there alone. And I get that. It feels awkward. But here's the thing. You're going to have a first day at work and you're going to walk into the office and you're going to look at all these people and you're not going to know them and you're going to feel awkward. And you're not going to be able to look down at your phone and stare at it to avoid that feeling. So we need to practice feeling our feelings so when you do get in those situations, you're like, oh, I've been here before. I can do awkward. I can look at these people in the eye who I don't know yet and still feel okay and know I'll survive that feeling. And that's where these devices are getting in the way because they're allowing us to escape our feelings. And if we don't feel our feelings, we can't know that we can survive it and then continue to push ourselves in examples throughout our lifetime to continue to try and try again. And you can create boundaries around. So in my house, we have a rule that my kids are not allowed to have a conflict with a friend over a device. Oh, I like that. But it's, I mean, that's not real life. You're going to be, again, in the working world and you're going to disagree on a topic or an approach or you want to raise. You need to know how to have a conflict in person. Yeah. And so they're little the parents can just build these very clear boundaries. You don't have to hate devices or be putting down the devices. Oh my God, stop where you on the device and always texting your friends. You can really explain the why behind it. And we joke, but it's like parents want to create you create or rather raise, you know, these mini moguls that are going to change the world, lawyers and doctors and political activists. But we're not giving them the tools and the platform to be Begin to practice these skills. Allow them to negotiate with you why they deserve or would need a phone in fifth grade. You know, have them create a PowerPoint, use their presentation skills, talk with you about why they want a phone in their bedroom at night. You're still, it's still a parent-centric home where you ultimately have the say. But when people and kids buy into the why behind it and they feel motivated by the oh, they're these blue rays that suppress my melatonin and I'm not going to sleep as well. They may laugh, but you want them to understand that. We can't just do that because I said so. Society rules anymore. It doesn't work in a good way. These kids are smart. And the more we're having these conversations with our kids early on, the more they begin to see like, okay, it's ultimately my responsibility to manage this. And if I want mom or dad or whomever to stop shouting from the stairwell, get off your phone and nagging me, <laughs> yeah. then you know, it's like we're setting up this really terrible relationship between our kids when we're constantly nagging them and have this intrinsic, we hate the devices framework. Because then they're just going to go underground. It's like the family that doesn't allow any sweets in the house. And then they find Hershey's wrappers underneath the pillow. Yeah. They will find a workaround. Right? They'll, they'll find a workaround. They'll find their way to get their candy fix. They'll find their way to get online or to have a Snapchat app. So we really want to be working on this and getting the buy-in together.
and explaining to them why our, what our fear is. I worry that you're not going to be able to deal with hard feelings if you never have to have a conflict other than through a screen. It's very easy to say um, you hurt my feelings when you type it in versus looking someone in the eye and feeling vulnerable. And vulnerability is a key piece to relationships, as we know. What, what I really love about what you're saying is that it's a collaboration. It really is a collaboration between whether it's the parents or, or and their kids or, or yourself as a coach with the, these teenagers is like figuring out a way to make it work for them as opposed to like wagging your finger, finger at them and really expressing the importance of, of communication, of confidence. And I, that, that's what, what I love about this being so central to your work. Yeah. And it's really why I go into the schools and talk directly with the kids that I want to get their buy-in, that this is your gig. This is not your parents to be controlling you and monitoring you. I want you to begin to realize how it's getting in the how it's helping and how it's harming. And once they kind of begin to realize that, like, do you want to get good grades? Do you like that feeling of achieving? Well, here's the thing. Multitasking doesn't work. So you're going to slowly need to figure out how close to your desk area or your work area can your phone be if you want to accomplish good work. And how many times do you have to see that perhaps you weren't as well prepared because you got caught up in an Instagram scrolling session or, or whatnot? And everyone shakes their head and, and understands that. And that's the goal is for us to really do this together with the kids, saying that um, we're, on, we're on this team together. We are not against you and wanting to shut down these devices. Because particularly in teenage culture, it's really a nice community that they're able to build. And we've got them so busy this after school and gunning for grades and gunning for the college industrial complex achievement that they don't even have free time to just hang out in each other's basements anymore. So this is providing some of the connection that unfortunately in this always on the go world, they're not able to intrinsically have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so important. You have a wide variety of programs that focus on coaching adolescents, but I really want to talk about your focus on teenage girls. You you wrote this book. I love the title of it. Girls just want to have likes. And I'm wondering if you could dive in a little bit with regards to what has led you to work with this specific group of teenage girls? So um, it really started from having boy-girl twins to, um, if I really have to say where it began, that it was fascinating for me to watch how differently people treated my boy versus my girl and the messages that were being absorbed. They shared a room up until they were, you know, 12 years old. And so the color yellow was always the same in their rooms. They had the same bedding. We purposely weren't conditioning them for such specific gender roles, but yet we could very easily see the rules and the roles that society was putting upon them. And so girls, keep your head down. Don't say word. Don't create waves. Girls being more focused on academics and getting their pats on the back that way. And boys don't give up, push through. So both my son and daughter would be trying the monkey bars. 
And we would see that we would more easily say, oh, you'll try again tomorrow. But with him, we might have pushed him a little bit more. And these are just norms that we just default into. And so I think it's harder for girls because of the norms that have been conditioned from years and years and generations to break through this sense of, I do need to speak up. It is okay for me to say something. I don't have to be perceived as being aggressive if I'm just sharing my point of view or my discomfort with how something is handled. And so giving girls this opportunity to practice communication skills, they're very much in touch with their emotions, but to then be able to know it's okay to then say something. A lot of girls come with this myth of a bestie. You know, I have to have my bestie or my clique of friends. And so often why girls don't speak speak up is this fear of losing that relationship, that I don't want to lose my best friend. I don't want to lose that comfort on the playground that I've got someone to hang out with. So if I don't say something, then I've got a better guarantee that I'm going to be able to keep these relationships. And that slowly chips away at their confidence. As I had said before, if we practice constantly not saying something, then how are we going to walk into our boss's office one day and say, here's why I deserve a raise? We're not. We've just conditioned ourselves that we just take it. It's fine. It's fine. So I really feel very passionate about trying to change this inner dialogue for girls and for many boys. Um, once you really begin to speak with boys, you realize that they're feeling very similarly, that they want to just fit in and feel comfortable on the playground and be part of a group. And how do we give them these skills to say something? We're taught, you know, algebra and we're taught vocabulary, but we're not taught how to have a conflict with another human being, how to have conflict and come out still okay. And that's the cornerstone of relationships. I mean, we think about our closest friends. It's the age old saying like, oh, we've been through everything together. Like nothing can break this bond. So in conflict is where we build our strong relationships. Yet as an adolescent, we're so scared of conflict and losing those relationships because we're never taught the skills on how do we have a conflict? How do we say how we feel and then be able to walk away and say, I did this, I contributed. Oh, here's how I contributed. Okay, let's try next time to do better. And that's okay. Oh my gosh, it's so important. You're absolutely right that that so many of us and myself included, I'm guilty of this, that sometimes I try to avoid conflict because I don't want to, there to be anger or frustration, or I don't want people to be mad or upset, but you're absolutely right that conflict allows us and, and working through that conflict allows us to build and maintain much stronger and deeper relationships in our lives. And that goes for adults as, as well as uh, adolescents. And if, if we're able to create an environment where we teach that conflict is okay as children are growing up, I, I can only imagine what it can do for our society. I, I mean, I still can't get over that both communication skills and ethics is not a class that our kids are taught from an early age to have these, you know, with the um, 
default that people are not as much involved in religious institutions and different places that are having our kids think about ethics and morality, which I'm not a proponent per se of organized religion, but I am a proponent that we need to be having these conversations about ethics and morality. We need to be teaching our kids how to communicate because these are the cornerstone of what creates a capable, kind, and compassionate human being as an adult. And we do avoid feeling those feelings because we're afraid of them because we've never had to deal with them. So I have something called like a hard conversation helper, which really takes kids and adults through, okay, how do I have a conflict? How do I find my contribution? Because in 99% of conflicts, each party contributed to whatever occurred. How do I find what my contribution was? Admit that so that the person on the other side doesn't immediately get defensive because that's what so often happens that we launch right into what happened. The other person feels on the defense, then they come back and then you're locked. So with my adolescents, we do this practice where we put our palms against each other and we push as hard as we can. And then you're stuck. You can't go anywhere. And that's what happens in conflict. But imagine if one person eases up and admits their contribution, then the other arm eases up. And then you're able to find some wiggle room and begin to have the conversation and figure out together, okay, now I understand. How do we move forward? Yes. Uh, it's so, it's so important. What do you think are the biggest difficulties and hurdles that teenage girls or maybe even boys as well face when it comes to smartphone and social media use? So I think one of the things that really um, breaks my heart is this comparison culture. So I think that kids are spending a lot of time looking at other people's lives and adults to the Facebook where, you know, all summer long, I had to watch people traveling to Paris and France and Croatia. And I was like, Oh, I'm sitting home working. Um, but this comparison culture and how that slowly chips away at our own self empowerment. And so what I try to do is reframe that. So let's say um, a lot of girls will come to me and say, oh, my gosh, my friend is at Coachella and she's got this great outfit on and I want to be there. And so I say, OK, well, you're in control. So let's talk about what feeling you want or what about Coachella is something you want. Oh, I'd love to go shopping and find a cute outfit. Oh, I'd love to be at a fun music festival. OK, so maybe you can hop on an airplane, whether it be the expense of it or whatever, and go to California, but what small piece can you do right now that can give you that same feeling? Could you go shopping at Target and find a cute outfit? Is there some local band or something playing that you could go here? Because we don't have to go to the extreme to get the feeling that we're after. So I really try to help them identify, like, what is it the feeling that you want, that you're coveting, that you see that someone else has? And know that you have the power to create that. So if that feeling is fun or newness or specialness or cool, how can you bring that into your life rather than always looking out at someone else's life and feeling like I can't have that? I want them to feel empowered that you can go out and grab it instead of staring at someone else um, as they see having it all. Yeah, that's so true. I think that as you were just saying, this comparison trap we get into, it starts to play tricks with us because then it starts, I know, I know for me and for, for a lot of people, I know that it really starts us to get, start to second guess 
as to what we want for our lives, we start thinking like, oh, is is this what success means? Should I be doing these things instead of what I, I really want to be doing? It plays a lot of mind tricks with us. And I can only I can't imagine what it must be like for someone who's in middle school or high school and they see their friends are doing all of these things and I, I can't imagine what that must do to them. Yeah, it's it's not it's not easy. So that for me is the piece that I really want them to a realize like you're in control. You're in control of you can unfriend these people, you cannot follow, but you need to have the self-regulation to have the conversation with yourself about what's the reality of what you're seeing. Is it helping or hindering and taking back that power? Because that loss of power is what's slowly really hurting um, both our youth and our adults. As you said, it makes you question yourself. So there's some good questioning like, oh, maybe I should start a podcast. But the sense of I, my podcast could never be as good or my podcast or, or whatnot is the conversations and the inner dialogue I want to help people work through. Right, right. What would you say are the building blocks for creating self-confidence in our lives? So it's my belief that the building blocks are pushing through fear. So here's the thing, stay with me on this. If you felt that no matter what happens, you can survive that feeling. Right. So, so often, whether it's overeating, we're just trying to stuff down feeling our feelings, whether it's not saying something, speaking up with a friend. It's because you don't want that feeling of maybe feeling alone or unwanted. So the more that we step out of ourselves and take risks and realize like, oh, I tried out for the tennis team and I didn't make it. It felt embarrassing. I was disappointed but I survived that feeling, the more you can continue to do that. And then slowly, you're going to get those wins and you're going to begin to build that confidence that, oh, okay, things do work out as you begin to navigate. Okay, what feels right to me? What do I get the pats on the back? What teams do I make? Or what articles that I write do just flow from me? And so without trying things and pushing through the fear of feeling our feelings, we're not able to gain the little pats on the back that we're supposed to be getting along the way as we figure out, who am I? What do I want? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right is that, and I think that's why so many people have such a difficult time with self-confidence is because we see these hurdles in our lives and they look so much taller to us than they actually are. And, and, and I mean, some, some hurdles are taller than others to use this analogy, but it's not until we, we leap over those hurdles that we realize, Oh, okay. We got, I, I got this. I got this. I, I can do this. And as you were just saying, it's when we start getting those wins, we really begin to realize that, we are capable of more than we realized in the beginning. Right. And the small wins are the way to go. Just small, 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 kind of the same way that the little comments and the little not saying something slowly chip away. It's also the little wins that are slowly building your confidence when they're like these giant wins. You know, we all want a giant win, whether it's like on the Oprah, you know, I want to be on the Oprah show or I want to 
be a New York one New York Times bestseller list. But when you jump all those steps, you actually don't believe it. So you need to have the small, small wins and climb the mountain slowly. So when you are on the top, you've already been there. You already believe it. If you just jump to the view, you're like, oh, you don't get that same satisfaction and you're not, you haven't built the confidence along the way. Yes, that's that's absolutely true. Your initiative or really your movement, what you're doing in your, in your coaching practice and all these people, teenagers, adolescents that you've been helping out, at least from my perspective, is very much in this digital wellness and well-being realm. And so given your wealth of experience as a coach and working with teenagers, what would you say digital wellness means to you? Great question. So digital wellness to me would mean using the tools that digital technology and technology today provide us in a way that builds us up, that adds value, that makes our lives more enjoyable, gives us easier access, gives us time back for our relationships versus drain us. And so, and just staying aware that balance is going to go up and down throughout our entire days, weeks, months, years, lives, but just staying aware of that and not beating yourself up when it happens. So, you know, many families have rules, no phones at the dinner table. And so it's going to happen that those phones find themselves way back to the dinner table. And that's okay. You can laugh about it and say, oh my gosh, you know, it started with dad saying that he is waiting for a text from work. And now we're all, you know, looking down at our phones. And so not taking it all so seriously. I think that the media has created this giant fear culture that social media and digital devices are going to ruin us and they're ruining a whole generation of kids. I don't believe that is the case. There is so much more to this narrative of what is going on with the increase in anxiety and depression, whether it be the busy after-school culture and a lot of what has gone on where kids aren't developing their moral and ethical and collective consciousness. There's so much more happening that we can't fully blame the devices, but it's been easy to say that they're the reason. The reason is what we aren't doing, what we aren't talking about, what we aren't practicing because it's so easy to use technology and devices instead of dealing with that. Yeah, that's absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more that it is like the the reason, uh, I, can't, I can't remember just like how you just phrased it, but it's like, it's not necessarily the technology, it's the fact that we're spending so much time on the technology and therefore not practicing these specific skill sets that really we need to thrive as as human beings in order to find happiness, to find fulfillment, whatever that might mean for every individual. But we're not practicing those, those key skill sets that are so essential. And creating that awareness within each of us because everybody's tolerance is going to be different. Um, and it's got a lot of great values for adolescents and for people who haven't found their community directly where they are. And so for us to decide or for the American Pediatric Society to decide the exact amount of time that is right for kids to be online is kind of crazy. We need to really dig into, you know, what drives this particular individual? What do they need at this time in their lives? What kind of connection? 
um, and begin to have those conversations, knowing yourself, if you're impulsive, if you have tend to have an impulsive personality, we discuss this a lot with the adolescents, then we need to really take a second look at how you're using social media and commenting and whatnot. Or if you're somebody who um, very much loves entertainment and doesn't have a problem with impulsivity and feeling awkward and dealing in real life, then perhaps those rules in that family can be a little bit more lenient. It's not a one size fits all type of situation. What action steps do you think parents, families, or communities can do to start making changes in their lives when it comes to tech? Say there's, there might be, or there's likely some some parents listening to this episode and they're really jiving with everything that you're saying, but they don't know where to start. What are, what are some basic steps that they could implement almost like right away into their lives? So I really like for people to kind of do, you know, grab a piece of paper and write down like three columns, like help, harm, and hurt, and begin to think about their usage of technology. So whether it be, okay, they're Netflix watching, you know, how is it helping me? How is it harming me? Um, and how am I, sorry, help hurt, help hurt and handle and how am I going to handle it? And really begin to look at each thing. So Instagram, Facebook. So Facebook for me, I would say, how is it helping me? I find a lot of articles that I wouldn't have already found that people who I follow and respect their point of view bring to the surface. How is it harming me? I often feel bad about my travel plans and my kind of extracurricular activities when I see how much some people are getting out there in the world and doing spontaneous things and I'm kind of a workhorse. Um, and how am I going to handle it? I'm going to set aside 10 minutes every day at one specific time that I'm going to quickly look at Facebook and then I don't go back. And so really beginning to create some kind of a format and discipline and understanding how each different technology is helping, harming, and then how we want to handle it. Um, and so those same rules with parents at home um, around, you know, dinner table usage of the phones and phones plugged in at nighttime. And when they get home from school, if there is a parent that's home and they want to be able to hear the kids download about their day, you know, 10 minutes when you get home, we're not going to do devices so we can chat for a little and then you can go on. Just creating small boundaries for your kids and yourself so we can kind of breathe a little and be our best selves. I love that. It's really like well, it's exactly what we were talking about earlier. It's making these really small changes in your lives that add up over time and really really change your life for the better. And, and it's like implementing these little habits is what it sounds like. Right. And the introspection about it. Um, I think it's just so easy for us all to say like, oh, I'm on my phone too much. Oh, I'm this and that too much. But to really look into it and really say to yourself, and what is, and what's the cost of it? How is it getting in the way? And what would I want to be using that time for? What do I need to be using that time for? I need to be using it to get outdoors. I need it to be saying yes to friends more, to having dinner plans in person, and then pushing yourself to actually do it. So, so often we just say, I wish, I wish, or complain, but then we don't take the action steps. So holding ourselves accountable once we figure that out to take the action steps of what we 
um, what we want. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this is so important. Uh, Lori, we were talking a bit before about, obviously about self-confidence, about the importance of communication. And we talked a little bit too about the importance of knowing how to connect with one another, knowing how to build relationships. And that's so much of the essence of what we talk about on the ship's podcast. And so from your perspective, I'm wondering how do we as humans form genuine, deep, meaningful human relationships? Well, that's a lofty question. No, that's, that's, a, that's, a, great, <laughs> that's, um, that's a great question. Um, you know, lately my viewpoint starts with just show up. I think that we have forgotten to show up a little bit, show up to the birthday party, show up to your friend's house after something has happened that perhaps they're not feeling their best self about. Showing these little moments that we care is how we build relationships. And it's so easy to just send a text, you know, sorry, grandmother passed or sorry that the job interview didn't work out or whatever it might be. We need to show up for people and create those intimate moments. Um, and we need to have the converse, the deep, meaningful conversations that are the building blocks of intimacy. And so if we're always doing things through a screen or rushed, um, a quick call, you know, on the way to the subway, we're not showing people that they're important, they're worth your time. So I'm a big proponent right now. I keep saying, you know, just Woody Allen has a saying like showing up is 80% of the work, but it's really true. Showing up is like 80% of telling someone you matter. I care. And I want to be in a relationship with you. Oh, that's so important to remember. It's that, that, that importance of just, and that kind of goes along the lines of being present for someone being present for a, a group of people and it really is the those incremental times of showing up time and time again and really showing someone like, hey, you matter to me, that makes such a world of a difference once the time has compounded. Yeah. You know, I, I do this analogy with um, in the middle school that because um, everyone has their dogs and love their dogs dogs and so kids love dogs so i say you know your dog passes away and your friends send you a text your other friend shows up at your house and you're going through your dog's old toys and you're telling funny stories about how your dog ate the birthday cake and laughed about it now tell me which created a moment that you're going to remember you know when in 20 years from now you're not going to remember the texts the texts were a nice to have but the relationship was the friend who came over, who went through the experiences you had and you had together. And like it, it often resonates with them um, to understand it on those terms. And I think that, you know, I love the mindfulness movement and it's amazing, but I'm like a very practical gal. And so I've never really fully grasped, you know, what it is to be in the moment. Um, but showing up, I can really understand. Oh, I can understand showing up for someone. That that I can do. Like being in the moment for me feels a little too esoteric. Um, but showing up for myself and for others, I'm like, I, I can do that. Yeah, it really, it's something that is very easy to understand and very tangible too. It, it really is, it's, it's bl really black and white in a lot of ways that you either show up 
and make that effort or you don't. And I, I love what you're saying, just this importance of showing up specifically in our day and age where everything is sometimes very transactional. Sometimes we try to take the easy route, like you said, maybe just sending a quick text, which, which yeah, is nice. But the difference between that and showing up, it, it's huge. It, it really leaves a, a different memory or a, a happy thought going on throughout the rest of your life. And we can use it as our benchmark, you know, begin to notice how you feel if you push against the showing up for someone, that's okay. Then kind of evaluate like the friendship and understanding like, oh, this is a friend that I'm going to not, you can't go always above and beyond for everyone in this busy culture that we all exist in. And so planning your time accordingly is okay, but just know that you're doing it consciously. There are certain people that you know, like I'm showing up for them. And that's going to be the cornerstone, you know, when you're at your wedding or, you know, all these milestone events that you showed up for each other and developing these relationships in early adolescence. Harvard has done a study are early indicators of future happiness, that developing these strong relationships where we show up and we can rely that our friends are going to do that in a strong attachment way are very, very important. Um, for the development of oneself and trust. Wow. Lori, thank you so much for joining us on the Ships podcast. I not only appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the show, but I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Just reflecting on our conversation, it's is such important work. And I feel like it's only going to be even more important as technology continues to advance and what you're doing in, in teaching teenagers on how to improve their confidence, how to improve their communication skills. I, I think it's, it's really making a difference. And so I, I'm very happy to have you on the show. Well, thank you. Great questions. Thanks for all the work you do. And let's, let's keep talking the talk and, um, creating kind of this collective awareness. Oh yeah, that, um, yeah. That we're we're in control, not these devices, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Before we head on out, I'm just wondering if you could share with our listeners some information about where they could find out more about you and your work. Okay, great. So, um, so you can head to my website, which is lauriewolk.com. L-A-U-R-I-E-W-O-L-K. Dot com, and you can sign up for my newsletter and you can see all my different programs, lots of great blog articles. Um, I speak at a lot of schools. So if anyone here has a school um, anywhere in the country, I'm always opening for a fabulous travel to <laughs> <laughs> um, the schools. And I have a book called Girls Just Want to Have Likes. And that book is really geared for parents um, with kids kind of age zero to 15, I would say, it gives you a, a background on how in the home you can um, build these confidence skills um, in an organic way and push them to learn communication and, and whatnot. Awesome. Great. Yeah, I'll make sure to include all that information in the show notes for our listeners out there. Just feel free to scroll down and you'll be able to see all of those links provided. So Lori, thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to your listeners. And until we meet again. 
woke, everyone. There was a lot of information in there that I hope you can take from this episode and input into your own lives. There was a lot of content in there about the importance of interaction, about the importance of communication, building your self-confidence, and really having this opportunity to push through the fear. So Lori, thank you so much again for joining us on this episode. If you liked this SHIPS podcast episode, feel free to subscribe, share it with a friend, Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. This would give me some great insight on what I could do to better improve this podcast. Also, if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. Said voicemail may be released in a future episode of Ships, so please call in if you'd like. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing amazing episodes with inspiring guests. So if you're interested in supporting this show, feel free to check out the link in the show notes provided. Thank you so much again, as always, for tuning in to the Ships Podcast, and I look forward to joining you all in the next one.